heard. It's wonderful. Um, and I got to think along those lines that you're, you know, I don't know how many of you are Seahawks fans, but it wasn't a great morning. And, uh, and then you walk to church and you see, oh, we're talking about justice and we're singing about the Ten Commandments. What kind of day is this? Um, it's going to be, I hope this is a blessing. <laughs> we can turn the day around still. We are going to be reading a passage from the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm going to read from both chapter 4 and chapter 15. And it's uh, verses 5 through 8 in chapter 4. And then we'll jump to first 11 verses of chapter 15. Listen to the word of God. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, Moses is speaking, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? And then in verse five, chapter 15, about the sabbatical year. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner, you may exact it, but whatever is of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be any an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, 
You shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Let's pray. God, guide us as we think upon your word. It's a word that seems (laughs) so far removed from us. And yet, Lord, when we look, guide us into a deeper understanding of its message to each one of us. Guide my words, guide all of our hearts and lives as we submit ourselves to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in a series about the effect of the gospel on us and how the gospel changes, affects everything. Today's focus on the gospel is how it changes how we see and how we treat people. That's, that's, that's our fundamental sense of justice, of right and wrong. And that starts inside of us, in our hearts. And the gospel completely transforms our sense of, sense of and passion for justice. This is, a, this is a huge issue of our day as our country, country is divided on issues of justice and even as our church is divided about it. But as a church, we need to go back to the scripture and look at what it has to say. And a great deal of what the scripture speaks to is issues of justice, of the way we see each other and treat each other. There's, there's much more that I can address about justice than in one sermon, but we're just going to begin to look at how the Scripture speaks to how we need to see each other in the world. Tim Keller has written about this passage, and, and a good portion of the structure of this comes from him. But we're going to look at a, a threefold call to justice in our message, in this passage And we're going to look at the dynamic of justice and then going to look finally at the witness of justice as we live as those affected by the gospel. The threefold call to to justice in this passage first. But first, even before we start that, we we got to step back and we need to look at the historical context of this passage to understand the points that we're going to look at clearly. This passage is a call to lend fellow, is lend to fellow Israelites freely, ungrudgingly and generously in a very specific circumstance. Now, they live in an agrarian economy, an agrarian world as, as farmers and landowners. And they aren't speculators or, or business people. They are neighbors. And they are, they are all, every one of them, as, as small farmers are, one bad crop from debt and poverty. And that's just the life of small farmers. Locusts and wars and droughts and, and just choosing the wrong crops or making any sort of bad decision. And you're not going to have enough capital to buy seed for the next season. And the cycle of poverty begins that would likely lend, lead to, to losing the land and, and even in that world to slavery. The only way out is a loan. Foreigners are are specified as not a part of this deal, not a part of this call, not because they are outsiders, 
but because they are not the landowners and not a part of the circumstances that this is being addressed to. This is about helping your neighbor not fall into poverty. And this is a, that, that's the setting in which we hear this threefold call to justice. First, we see a call to a, a systematic and astonishing generosity. Generosity to the poor. This lending looks looks a lot more like giving, particularly as the time of release of debts and slavery comes. They are called to give without expectation of return. And they're called to do it freely and ungrudgingly. Now, I honestly don't know people who liked to be told to be generous. Being asked is one thing. Being told, being commanded to, is, is a different thing. But that's what's happening here. But the second, second dynamic is that they are empowering people to self-sufficiency. This is not just a band-aid over a cut. This is a, a full course of, of getting their lives back from a disaster. It is structured so that people could have the financial and emotional and spiritual resources to recover and to thrive. This is so that they would have life and life abundant in a very real way. Now, there's a a difference between relief work and development work, and, and both are necessary. But the development and the redevelopment work It it takes even more investment and generosity and patience and time. This is about redevelopment. But the third and final impact we see is hope. Hope. Verse 4 says, there will be no poor. It's only even by verse 11 that it says there will always be poor. So so it seems like a contradiction. What could this possibly mean? But here's the picture. You will always have people getting in trouble. In a fallen world, there are locusts and there are droughts and there, there are bad decisions. But you don't leave them there. The community, the, the neighbors, come to their aid and support them. Give them what they need and help them get back on their feet. This isn't demanding that they pull themselves up by their bootstraps, in in which case people fall into ever-spiraling cycles of poverty that last generations. This is the community, their own community, recognizing the need and coming around it to lift their brothers and sisters to a full place in the community without begrudging them, without putting the relationships on an unequal footing, but because every seven years the ledger is wiped clean. Now, this is not a pie-in-the-sky utopianism that thinks that we can get ourselves to a place where bad things don't happen. This is very realistic about life. Bad things do happen. But neither is this a cynicism that we're left to our own devices purely. It's always just up to us and no one is there to help us. This is a real hope for everyone, no matter how bad 
things get for a time. Just a, a couple of quick comments about this. This is not a scripture uh, subscribing to a socialist system where the government is structured to provide that hope that we all need in a hard world. But neither is this a system of, of straight capitalism, a system which assumes that people's primary motivation will be accumulation. This is a call to a sacrificial generosity. And there's no political or economic system that mirrors what is described in this passage because it's a posture of a heart. And honestly, the truth is, we don't know if this ever actually took place among the people of Israel after Moses wrote it. Because, and the same is true with the year of Jubilee. But what we do know is that about 1,500 years after Moses wrote this, writes this direction, it is echoed in the early church. In Acts chapter 4, verses 34, And so it turned out that not a person among them was needy. Those who owned fields or houses sold them and brought the price of the sale to the apostles and made an offering of it. The apostles then distributed it to each person's need. We see in the church not necessarily the regular release of slaves or forgiveness of debt, but we do see an enormous sacrificial generosity to help others get on their feet. And again, it's neither cynicism nor utopianism. It is real hope for people. And it comes from a dynamic of justice. We are being called to an exorbitant generosity. But the Bible never calls us to do something without giving us the resources to do that. I I talked about this last week. Wherever God guides, he provides. And so we are repeatedly reminded of the Lord's provision for all that we really need, including the reminder that he brought us out of slavery ourselves. All he's asking is that we treat others the way he treated us. We offered no value to God on any scale, yet he loves us. And here's where the New Testament and the Christian faith takes it even further than the Old Testament. We see the enormous, sacrificial, exorbitant cost of his love to bring us out of slavery. He paid that cost freely on the cross so we can be free, free from the power of sin and death, free to live. So we should understand of all people what it means to give and to forgive freely. What we've experienced in the grace of God radically changes the way we see people because we, we are the poor. We are the poor in spirit. And on us, God has poured out his grace and we have no grounds of receiving it from God, yet he freely gives it to us. And we have no grounds for considering ourselves of any more value to God than anyone else. And so we treat everyone as those whom God loves. The the gospel changes the way we see people. 
There are different ways people are seen by each other in the world. There are different systems of justice. And, and we live daily in each one of these systems. We operate in all of these ways daily. I want to give you, at, at kind of a risk, a, a very mundane picture of the way we operate in working with other people. And honestly, I thought of this picture came to me in the shower this morning while the Seahawks were, were playing in the background. Um, I thought of, it was a picture of driving in my car and I'm late to somewhere. I'm, I'm in a hurry, but I'm starving. And so suddenly there's a Chick-fil-A right next to me. And I, I remember Chick-fil-A's drive throughs they always seem to go pretty quickly. So I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to go to this Chick-fil-A and then I started thinking about the way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat people. I'm going to deal with people. The most based way of, of dealing with people, of seeing people, is to simply measure or value people for their ability to serve my needs. How can you help me? And, and it's a very tra- transactional world where we live most of the time when where most people are just commodities with which we trade for our own benefit. Just... Give, just give me the chicken sandwich as fast as you can. That's all I care about right now. But there's an even, there's an, a simple picture of justice that's a step up from that. It's, it's a little better than that. It's a basic one. It's what people call lex talionis, an, an eye for an eye. At least let's weigh each other evenly. When I, when I worked for a homeless shelter with kids in, in two major cities, there was a code of justice by which they lived by on the streets. You respect me, and I'll respect you. But if you disrespect me, I'm going to disrespect you as well. There's a problem with this code of justice. In a world where we are all sinners, and there's no forgiveness, an eye for an eye eventually becomes pretty soon there's no eyes left because we're going to hurt each other somehow. We're fallen. Still, in the, in the line for the, the drive through the Chick-fil-A, I'm, 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 I think for a moment, I'm glad I'm using my money at the Chick-fil-A because I hear they give good wages and they're good to their employees. And so, you know, I'm, I'm supporting Real people, the people I'm, I'm driving through this line and they're serving me. And I get a sandwich and they get good wages. And so it's an eye for an eye. So, but the Bible takes it a step up then. Takes it a step up with the golden rule. Treat each other as you'd like them to treat you. But again, we're broken people and we don't all expect or give the same treatment. Some Expect to be hurt, and so it's very easy to hurt others as well. Still, when I've, I've been a service worker, and I honestly, I know I just want somebody who's going to be respectful and courteous and, and maybe even smile at me. And so I go through the Chick-fil-A line, and I just, even though I'm in a hurry, just give them the best smile I can. That's, that could be the golden rule, right? Jesus comes in and provides a final picture of justice in the gospel. 
He says, and, and he gives us this level of justice. He says, love others as I have loved you. The bar has just changed. Now, his love is the measure of justice for the Christian. We value others by the measure, not of what we might want or expect of ourselves. We value others the way Jesus loves and values us. And he died for us, even when we are his enemies. And so I go through the line, I get my sandwich with a smile, and I pull away in a hurry. And, and finally, when I get to the place where I can open up the sandwich and pull it out, there's no mayonnaise, and there's no Chick-fil-A sauce. They messed it up. Here's the justice of Christ. My heart goes out to them, and I pray for them. This is hard work. And we're all going to mess things up. Lord, bless them in a mighty, mighty way. And may they know the joy of the Lord today. Now, that's the most mundane picture of justice that I could possibly think of in all those different pictures. But it is the justice of Christ that we apply to each other, to those like us, and to those whom we would consider enemies. When we see people with the eyes of this grace, whether, whether when people see this sort of justice, whether it's directly from God or through us, it has the power for them to change how they see themselves and ultimately to see themselves as the beloved of God that they are. Miroslav Volf is a theologian who was walking around a poor neighborhood with a pastor to that community. And the pastor made the comment, one of the great resources for the, inner healing, for the healing of the inner city and the brokenness of the people here is the doctrine that we are justified by sheer grace alone. In a world where everything else tells the poor and the lonely and, and all of us in our brokenness that we have no value, that their lives don't matter, the gospel tells them otherwise, that they are the dearly beloved of God. And if we carry out that justice to them, they are loved by us too. And it changes everything. Tim Keller says, The gospel of grace is the most powerful resource I know out there in the world to bring about justice. Because it changes our attitude. Our attitude toward the poor and it changes the poor's attitude toward themselves. The witness of justice... And the, the first passage I read in Deuteronomy 4 says that the world will see the way you live with love and justice and say, what a great God you have. And if we don't live with that love and justice, they're going to see that as well. 
At our best in history, Christians have been known for love and tolerance and a passion for justice, this kind of justice, not for ourselves, but for those who could not stand up for themselves, the way God stood up for us. And when we've done that, the world knows. Whether it's been the abolition of slavery and the work of civil rights or the the building of hospitals around the world or bringing literacy and, and transportation and infrastructure all over the world. All, not putting people down, but lifting them up. And in both word and action, bringing the good news of the love of Jesus Christ and his salvation We do it in what we say and in what we do. That's the work of justice that we are called to. This is the arena by which Christianity is going to be viewed by the world. And it begins when we see the gospel and how God feels about us. And the heart of justice is having the same eyes, those same eyes as Christ, when we look at others with the same love and longing for them. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you. We thank you for your love. We stand amazed by it. And we come to love you as we, as we grow in our knowledge of your love for us. Lord, help us in in love and justice to show the world how much you love all of us in a way that with actions and words we, we can be a true witness of the salvation we know in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you. Guide us as we live our days driving through lines at Chick-fil-A or anywhere the way we treat every person whether it's the closest family member or the, the the most passing acquaintance Lord help us to live with your justice to all we love you Lord we pray in Jesus name Amen Amen